0: Was talking with a young man earlier this week. <clears throat> not, not that he's here, but uh, thinking about uh, proposing to the the girl he loves, uh, and uh, we were talking about the ins and outs of engagement. And I started to really uh, think about how uh, engagement in this in this society has lost some of its um, some of its power some of it's commitment, it's just a thing you do to get to the, uh, to get to marriage, and it becomes just about a ring, uh, and, uh, a lot of it was talking about how much to, pay for a ring, how much would be the right amount, and when to give it to her, and all these other things, and I started to get a little, like, concerned, and I talked to my wife afterwards, I said, I don't get it, like, I mean, a ring is just a ring, it's just a piece of jewelry on your finger, and, uh, and my wife, as wise as she always is, she's like, it's not about the ring, it's about what it symbolizes. It's about commitment. And I said, but if somebody's already planning on getting married, what does the ring matter? And she said, well, it's a sign and it's a symbol to show people that you are committed to marry somebody. And I thought, you're right, that's right. So my, my pessimism quickly faded away as I talked to my uh, more optimistic wife, although that's not normally the case, but that's how it worked out. So, um but then I started, you know, thinking as we were getting ready for the sermon uh, and, and talking about today a symbol of courage that we see here in Joshua chapter five. And uh I realized uh that um there's a reason why people Get so worried about getting the right ring, and it's not even about how much to spend, but just making sure that there's a ring on the finger of the person that you are engaged to or even that you're married to. We have wedding rings, and I started to think, why do people get so upset if they happen to lose their ring? I don't know if you've been in that situation where it's dropped in the sink, you see, you know, you see TV shows and stuff where that's happened, or you put it down and you misplace it. Uh, or your rings might uh, actually end up being the wrong size, and so you put it away. I know at times, uh, there's been times in my life where I've had, uh, since I've been married, where um, I've had allergic reactions to a few things, and my fingers swelled up a little bit, and I had to take my ring off. And like if I couldn't find it after I was done not wearing it, it bothered me. And and of course, uh, people who would lose an engagement ring, you especially think of women, and, and you, you you get this idea that there's this frantic looking for this ring, and why does it really matter? I mean, beyond the fact that most of them are valuable, I understand that. But even if not valuable, even if it's just a a, a twist tie ring, okay, and it gets lost and, and there's a problem with it, what is the issue? Uh, especially you think about wedding ring. I'm wearing my wedding ring. It shows to you that I'm married. Um, but if I wasn't wearing this ring, I would still be married, This isn't what marries me. It's not that if we don't have the ring that somehow that marriage is gone or if you happen to lose an engagement ring that the engagement is no longer uh, valid. Uh, That none of that is really the reason. But the reason becomes because of what it stands for. That the ring that we wear is a symbol of our commitment, a symbol of our covenant, if you will, if you're talking about marriage. And that although the, the piece of metal itself is not uh what is not ultimately that valuable even if it is monetarily valuable what truly is valuable is what it represents and that is the commitment to someone or the covenant to someone in marriage and so we care about our rings we care about the symbol of what is so much better today as we look at Joshua we look at the Israelites we're going to see something happen uh that can be confusing to us especially in today's world uh, but it, I want to keep in mind why it happens, why Joshua and the Israelites are about to do what they're going to do in Joshua chapter 5, and I want to remember, as we come into this, remember the idea of a symbol that represents something so much greater. Uh, it represents, uh, really, something that might be intangible. You can't see my marriage, in a sense, and especially if she's not with me, but you can see that I'm wearing a ring. But the ring is the tangible reminder of, of the intangible reality. And that is what we're going to kind of look at as we look at Joshua chapter 5. Before we get to Joshua chapter 5, let's just real quick go back and see what we've seen so far. We've seen that Joshua has been called to have courage in taking the promised land. Uh, God has come to Joshua and set him up as the leader of Israel to uh, succeed Moses. Moses. And as he succeeds, Moses, we're going to see that God says it's time to take the promised land. It's, try, it's time to go in and take the land that I have given to you and that I promised to Abraham long ago. And Joshua, you need to have courage to go and do that. And so Joshua has been showing that courage and this courage has been seen that he's trusted God's promises. He has trusted God's laws and followed God's laws and he has trusted ultimately in God's presence that God is with him wherever he goes and that is where true courage can be found. This mission of courage as we've seen is not just for Joshua but it's for all of Israel as they follow behind him. We also saw that if we're looking at what faith and cur- What true courage and courageous faith is, it is seen in knowledge, knowing God, emotion, uh, understanding and feeling the presence of God, and also action, taking what we feel and what we know and actually putting it to practice and doing something with our faith. And we saw Rahab was a great example of that. Israel is also an example of that. As they've crossed now the last couple chapters we've looked at, they crossed the Jordan River... And we see their active faith both in obedience in crossing the river and doing it even before they knew what God was going to do. But we also see that as they cross the river, they not only show their faith through obedience, but they show their faith through remembrance. They set up uh, at least one stone monument in Gilgal to remember the crossing of the Jordan River. And that was an act of faith. That not only did they trust God ahead of time, but they also took the time to remember what he's done. Not just to trust what he's going to do, but to remember what he's already done. And those two things come together. This is where we've been so far through the book of Joshua. We're about to get into the stuff that is more exciting, if you will, the stories you grew up with in Sunday schools. we look at Jericho and some other battles as we continue on once we get to chapter 6. But in chapter 5, we see Joshua and the Israelites doing something that honestly, in our minds, might not make much sense. And with that in our mind, as they have just crossed the Jordan River, they've built the monument, this is what we see happen in chapter 5. Please read along with me as we go to chapter 5. We'll only be reading through verse 12. <clears throat> as soon as all the kings of the Amorites were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters by the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives. Flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Herolvoth. And the reason why Joshua circumcised them, all the males of the people uh, who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give them. To give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, "'Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and the, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day.'" While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month in the evening in the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel." But the aid of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. <clears throat> Alright, so we see Israel here. They've crossed the Jordan River. And what do we immediately see? Well, let's take some time and look at what we see happening around Israel and then how they respond to it. We're going to talk about courage and the symbol of courage. And I would say the people of Canaan were the the exact opposite of courageous because the first point we see this morning in the first few verses of chapter 5 is very simple, that Canaan was terrified by what they have seen and heard. Uh, chapter five, these first couple of verses talks about uh, that the Amorites, the Canaanites, they were they were uh, they heard what had happened that the Jordan uh, had dried up for the people of Israel, and their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So what do we see happening? Not only was the crossing of the Jordan for the Israelite people to to show and their, show their faith and to remember their faith and to see what God can do, but God was also doing something else as they crossed the Jordan. As they crossed the Jordan, he was just as much the same way he did when they crossed the Red Sea and he ended up wiping out the Egyptian army to show his greatness. The world was watching. The Canaanites were watching. The Amorites, those in the land that were going to be eventually taken over, were watching this happen. And they were terrified by what they had seen and what they had heard. Some of them no doubt saw it and then spread the word throughout the countryside. There was true fear and terror in the people of the land. The word had spread of the crossing of the Jordan. It had spread. Word had spread, and this crossing, as we see in in chapter 5 here, was not just for the Israelites, but as a show of power to the world around them. We see that all the pagan kings, as we're told here, were in despair. They were in despair. That's the idea here when it says there's no longer any spirit in them. uh, That they are just completely so terrified that there's no fighting spirit in them. They're not ready to fight. They're closed up. They're hidden. They're afraid for their lives. They are terrified. They are in despair. They have nothing to do or no one to go to. They know that their doom is coming. And so much so that the people of the land lacked courage to face the Israelites. We see here at the end it says, Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. They saw what God had done, and they knew that Israel had God on their side. And therefore, the people of the land were afraid of the Israelites. They had no longer any courage to face the Israelites. They knew their doom was coming, and they were afraid. Now, a couple points I want to make before we move on here. Uh, many of you maybe have seen uh, the uh, Veggie Tales Joshua and the Big Wall. Uh, in that Veggie Tales, and in some other stories we've heard, uh, you have this idea that the Israelites are marching around Jericho and uh, remember the French peas are up on the wall and they're like throwing things down at them and they're singing a song basically saying you guys are idiots for for dancing or walking around the wall our walls aren't going to fall listen that is not truth actually the people in Jericho and the Canaanites were not arrogant uh, they were not um, uh, putting down Israel they were none of these things actually is the exact opposite they closed themselves in and they were terrified just picture this difference because they have seen what god can do even the people who aren't following god know that god is so amazing and so incredible and so awesome and so powerful that they are afraid and they are terrified that's what god can do that's what god has done now the other piece i want to keep in mind here is uh At this point, they still had a choice to make. Remember Rahab, she's part of the city, but she, through faith in God, decided that she was going to repent and that she was going to follow Israel's God. The people of Jericho, the people of Canaan, still could have, in a very real sense... Because God did not close off uh, his mercy just to Israel. We see that through the life of Rahab, through what happened with her. They could have made the choice and and gone forward and and had faith in the God of Israel, but that's not what they do. Their fear stays fear, and they're terrified, and they know their doom is coming and yet do nothing about it. So let's not make it out to be that God is this terrible God, but yet there is still mercy that they could have if they would only reach out for it. However, they don't. And they're afraid. They're not arrogant. They are, and they're not uh, assuming and prideful and assuming they're going to defeat Israel. In fact, the exact opposite is true. But not because of what Israel has done, but because of what God has done. And so we see the power of God even in the reaction of the people of the land. So we see Canaan, uh, the people of Canaan, they're all terrified. They've closed themselves in. There's no spirit to fight Isn't this where you'd want to be if you were a military leader? Like you march in and you're ready to have a battle and everybody's just cowering and afraid and not ready to fight. That would be ideal. Like you just go in, you could just take the land that quickly and there'd be no pushback, there'd be no problems and you'd just be able to go and do it. That would make sense if we're talking earthly conquest. Uh, really, the Israelites had Canaan right where they wanted them. An attack at this point would have been an assured victory, no question. If they would have taken things into their own hands, the people are sore afraid of God. They could have gone in and they could have destroyed the people who were not had no spirit in them to fight. This could have happened. And it seems like they've got them where they want them. They've crossed the Jordan. People are afraid, and now we see what Israel does, and Israel does not do what we think they should they don't walk in and start the war right away in their own power but they take time to do something very peculiar in our minds The second point we see is that is after Israel and they know this, they know that Canaan is terrified they know that the land is theirs and they take the time Israel physically shows their faith in God's covenant they don't forget God in all of this they don't just go forward in their own strength but they take the time To physically show or to physically demonstrate, to to physically have a symbol of their faith in God's covenant. And they do this through circumcision. Now circumcision, if you're here today and don't know what circumcision is, that's for you to talk to your parents about. Or, I guess if you're already a parent, I don't know, talk to your friend about. We're not going to go through the details. But it's the removal of the foreskin. And we know that to be seen throughout Scripture, that this is a rite that was done by the people of Israel. And we see that Joshua circumcised all the Israelite males. Joshua circumcised all the Israelite males. This was a physical reminder of God's covenant with Israel. And we see the question is, why does Joshua do it at this point? Uh, See, Joshua here, it says, God tells Joshua to do it. Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua follows the obedient, he obeys the word of God. God says, circumcise the men of Israel. The reason as we read that this has to be done is as they wandered in the wilderness, the children that were born and brought up weren't circumcised like the ones who were in Egypt. And all the men who were in Egypt now are no longer alive. And all the men who are now have been grown up, except with the exception, of course, of Joshua and Caleb, have not been circumcised. And it is time to circumcise the nation again. So that's why Joshua does it, but why is circumcision a thing? Why does Joshua do this? What's the point? I need, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 17. We need to get some context here as we go back to Genesis chapter 17. And let's look at God's covenant with Abraham. Genesis 17. Genesis seventeen one through seventeen is where we see God making a covenant with Abraham, um, and this. Um, all right, and I'm going to go ahead and read the whole section. I know it's a little lengthy, but this is God's promise to Abraham about the land of promise that now Israel is about to enter, and we see that there is great harmony amongst Scripture here as we read Genesis chapter seventeen and the first seventeen verses. When Abram was ninety nine years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of multiple nations, of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings. And and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout all generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, "'As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, uh, after you throughout all generations.'" Both he who is born uh, I'm sorry uh, both he who is born in your house and he was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised so shall my covenant be in ever in your flesh an everlasting covenant any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant Back when Abraham is first called and he's given the promise that God is going to make him uh, uh, many nations, many kings will come from him, many descendants, and also in here the promise of the land of Canaan. All the way back then when God first calls Abraham, uh, this is after he'd already called him but now he's sojourning, he's traveling, and God says, I'm going to give you all these things. These are yours and this is the covenant I'm going to make. This covenant is given to Abraham and then God says, look, as a sign of the covenant, That we're making today. You shall be circumcised and all your offspring after you shall be circumcised. And this becomes an important element of Jewish life, of the Israelites. This is what they, It it is not just a physical act to do for health reasons. This is done because it reminds them and it is a sign of the God's covenant that he made with Abraham and all these promises would come true. So doesn't it make sense that the people of Israel as Joshua and they have just crossed the Jordan River they're about to take the land that God had promised Abraham right after that God says and this is what you need to do to show the sign to to remember for me to, to, to see that you have made this covenant with me is to be circumcised and so Joshua and Israel and God tells them to do this and so they circumcise their males the men who are ready to go into the land they could have started fighting right away but they take time And they do this as a rite, as a symbol of the covenant that God has made with them. As a reminder again of the promise that God had given to them. So what we really see as we look throughout Scripture that this circumcision isn't just a physical act. Back in the book of Joshua we see them doing it. We see God commanding it as a result of what he had promised Abraham. But we also see throughout Scripture that circumcision is not Uh, is not anything other than a physical symbol of spiritual commitment. Circumcision is a physical symbol of spiritual commitment. And we're going to breeze through some scriptures as we look at this, because we need to understand that this is not just about a physical act. This is not just a medical procedure. This is something that is a physical symbol of spiritual commitment. Even in the Old Testament, back when uh, Moses was still in charge, we see in the book of Deuteronomy we see uh, that God tells um, Moses something about circumcision. And what do we see in Deuteronomy chapter 10? Deuteronomy chapter 10, I'm just going to read these and we'll get through these quickly. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 21, we see this as Moses is talking to Israel, what God has told him to say and what we see in verse 12 of chapter 10 is this. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding to you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, uh, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set in his heart love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples, as as you are this day circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn for the lord your god is a god of gods and a lord of lords the great the mighty the awesome god who is not partial and takes no bribe he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow loves the sojourner giving him food for clothing and it would it continues on You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise, he is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. This passage, Moses is reminding the people of Israel where they have come from, what God has done, and what their responsibility is. Notice in this passage, Moses does not talk about how important it is that you have to physically be circumcised, but he's talking about the circumcision of the heart, to be no longer stubborn, a symbol of cutting off sin. Cutting off the sin that so easily entangles. And we see here that Moses talks about this. So it wasn't just about the physical act of circumcision, although that was important and the reason it was done was to symbolize circumcision of heart. Because this is what God cares about. We'll continue to see that as we look uh, throughout uh, the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. Over in Deuteronomy, just a few pages over, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see the same idea. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. Once again, God talks about the importance of the heart being circumcised, to be set apart to be cut away from the world, to be cut away from sin and submitted to the Lord who you need to love with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. As we continue on in the Old Testament, Jeremiah is a book that talks a lot about this idea of circumcision as it relates to the heart. Now, the book of Jeremiah. and We know in the book of Jeremiah, Israel has gone wayward. They have followed other gods and they're being exiled and Jeremiah has some things to say. As it refers specifically to this. And we're going to look at start in verse in chapter four, verse four. Chapter four, verse four. This is Jeremiah quoting the words of the Lord. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it, because of the evil of your deeds. Once again, when Jeremiah is saying the words of God to the people, he's, he's not focusing on the physical circumcision. He says, make sure that your hearts are circumcised. At this point, Israel would have been physically Circumcised. That's the point of these passages. They were already physically circumcised, but God is saying, look, that's not enough. You need to be circumcised spiritually. You need to cut away the things of this world. You need to cut away sin. You need to cut away worldly uh, things, and you need to submit to me. You need to love me. You need to circumcise your hearts and be committed to me. That's what God is asking for. Jeremiah 9, 23 says very similar things. Jeremiah 9, 23 Thus says the Lord: Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the mighty man boast in all his might; not let the rich man boast in all his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this: that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are uncircum- or I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Amnon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair. For these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. God says judgment's not going to be coming just on the people who are not circumcised physically, but judgment's going to be coming on the person who is not circumcised in heart, who has not committed their life To God, who has not covenanted with God and kept the covenant of following him and following him alone. unless In case you think that this is just a theme in the Old Testament, we need to turn over to the New Testament as well. Romans chapter 2 talks about this very thing. Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, we see God talking again about this idea of circumcision and a circumcision of the heart. Romans 2.25, Romans 2.25, for circumcision, he's talking about physical circumcision, indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his Uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision. And then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law who will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man but from God. Once again, the point of circumcision, back when... God commanded Abraham to do it, as we continue to see here, is not just, hey, this is a physical thing that needs to be done, but the physical act needs to symbolize the spiritual act of committing to God and doing what he says. Further in Romans, we see this even more fleshed out in chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Back in verse 7, just to give a little bit of context, we'll start there. But it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For if we say that faith was accounted to Abraham as righteousness, how then was it accounted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps in faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. What is being said here in the book of Romans, Paul is very clear. He says, look, Abraham was counted as righteous because of his faith. And that became before his circumcision. And what Paul is making the point of is very clear that it is faith that saves. It is not a physical act that saves. But why is circumcision there? And he makes it very clear that circumcision, he says right here in verse 11, He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith. Circumcision was not what saved the people of Israel... And we're going to see in the New Testament, we could look through the book of Galatians and other books, where there are Christians, Jewish Christians, that are saying, you you still need to be circumcised to follow God, you follow Jesus. But that's not true, because that's not what the point is. The, The point of the sign, the physical act of circumcision, was a sign of the commitment to God. And Paul says that very clearly here, even back when it was given to Abraham. The covenant that was made with Abraham, it wasn't that uh, God was saying, I'll do all these things for you if you physically circumcise yourself, then that's all you need to worry about. God is saying the physical circumcision is a, is a sign of your faith. Faith is what God has always cared about and what He'll always care about. Faith, trusting in Him above all else. Not outward expressions, not how we can please Him or gain favor, earn favor with Him. That's not what He's looking for, but faith Trusting in him. No matter what we see, what we think, we trust in him. And yes, there will be things that can signify and symbolize that. But that's exactly what circumcision was for. One final passage we'll look at in the New Testament Paul again writing in the book of Colossians. Book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. In writing to Christian believers, he says this in verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. For you, who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Through the death of Christ, this is now transferring now onto us as Christians, through the death of Christ we receive a spiritual circumcision in the sense that we are cut off from the rest of the world and committed to him. And part of that, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, even in this passage, it mentions baptism. We have an opportunity to do a very similar thing in showing our faith that we already have in Christ through the waters of baptism, and we'll talk about that at the end of this. But the idea here still is so clear that it is not about the physical act, but it is about the spiritual reality. And so we need to understand this, because if we didn't understand this, we would think that what's happening back in Joshua is just a religious tradition. It's just a rite that needed to be done, and that was all it was, was a physical act. But this was so much more. This was Joshua and the Israelites showing their faith in the covenant that God had made with them. So we find ourselves back in Joshua with that as our background We understand that circumcision was not just about the physical act, but about the spiritual reality of the covenant that God had made with Israel. And they took time even when they could have taken things into their own hands and gone forward in conquest, which they probably would have failed because they wouldn't have had the blessing of God because they took the time to remember their covenant with God, to symbolize their covenant with God through circumcision. And then we see what they do after this in verse 8. After it was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, "Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you." And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll. That's the 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 uh, the Hebrew base of that is to roll. The idea is they've rolled away the reproach of Egypt, the slavery, all that's happened, all their disobedience in the in the wilderness. All of that is rolled away, and now they're going forward. But they wait for healing. Israel waits for healing here. You can't miss this piece. Because this is something that you got to think about. <clears throat> when the people of the land were so afraid and they were terrified and they were, they were ready to be taken, the people of Israel not only take the time to show the sign of their covenant with God, but then you think about the physical act and the healing that it would take. It would take a few days at least for the healing to take place where they're not in so much pain that they couldn't fight. You see, they were putting themselves in a vulnerable situation, still trusting God and understanding that as they waited to heal, that God would roll away all their reproach and they would be able to go forward. The people of the land, had they been watching, could have taken them at this time, but God had so terrified them that they weren't even coming out to fight Israel, even when they were at their most vulnerable stage. But this again shows their faith in God. It shows their courage in understanding who God is, that He is there, and that He is the one that is going to do the work. So, Israel is an example for us as they took the time to signify, to symbolize God's covenant, to show their commitment to the Lord and to wait on Him. And that's what we see in Israel. Now, the last point we're going to look at this morning is after the circumcision. Uh, we see Israel do another thing, and that is in starting in verse 10. It says, While the people in Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And that day after Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and, and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate the produce of the land, and there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. All right, so what we see then, what Israel does, is Israel celebrated God's deliverance. They continue to keep their focus where the focus needs to be, the covenant and the promises of God. And so Israel takes the time after they've healed to celebrate God's deliverance. They celebrated ahead of time knowing that God has delivered them from Egypt. If you remember the Passover, Passover was celebrated by the nation Passover was celebrated, they remembered the 10th plague when God passed over the children of Israel because of the blood that they'd put on their, on their doorways as a symbol of God's protection. And once again, this is very highly symbolic as they look at the Passover and they remember the Passover, that God has delivered them from Egypt. Egypt. He delivered them from Egypt and now has brought them into the land of Canaan. And Israel is experiencing and knowing the promise of God. It is coming true in right in their time. And they take the time to remember this through the rite of Passover, through the time, the celebration of Passover. And as they do this, we see a couple of things happen. We see that the people finally enjoy the blessing of the land. Now that they're here, we see that the blessing of the land that had been promised to them since the time of Abraham and then through Moses when they were in Egypt, and now they finally have come to the place where they're experiencing the blessing of the land. It had been over 40 years of wandering. It had been a long journey. They had finally gotten to the place where they were trusting in God, and now God is giving them the blessing of the land that he had promised. You see, they're witnessing God's goodness they're witnessing god's faithfulness to his promise and they are doing that and in this time god stops the manna and he shows them by stopping the manna that the journey is over you see manna has been given to the israelites since the time they they left egypt and they were looking for food and god has provided food for them all along the way all in understanding that one day this would no longer be needed that one day they would have the fruits and the 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 bounty of the land that would feed them. And now we see God does indeed stop the manna and shows the journey is over. The journey to the promised land is over. Now all that's going to happen from here is God following his promise and continuing to keep his promise, continuing to deliver the people of Israel as he gives them victory in the land. And so this seems like a strange thing in our human minds, why they would take the time As they cross the Jordan, everybody is afraid of them. They cross the Jordan and they take the time to be circumcised and to show the sign of their covenant and their faith and their commitment to the Lord. And they take time then to celebrate their deliverance through Passover. And they remember what God has done, knowing and looking forward to what God is going to do. And this is where we see Israel. All the failures they've had as they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. They have now learned to have faith in God, and they have made sure that they have consecrated themselves to him. And now, as we move on, we're going to start to see that God indeed is going to give them victory. The victory that he's promised to them from the time of Abraham. So how does all this apply to us today? We talk a lot about circumcision. That's a medical procedure that's done today, uh, but it is not something that we look at as a condition of our salvation or even as a symbol of our salvation. That was for the Jewish people. That's what God did to, to show, to, to signify that they were his people and they, he was their God. So how does this, what does this mean for us today? Well, I think the principles we see Israel following are something that we should still be following today as well. That we need to make sure that we are physically showing our faith in God's covenant with us. That Jesus has saved us. Jesus, uh, through his life, death, and resurrection, has done everything in his power to redeem us and to give us forgiveness of sin. And really, the New Testament, the new covenant, is in his blood. Uh, He died for us so that we can have new hope, so that we can have a new promise that we can look to through Jesus Christ. And just as the Israelites had God's promises that they relied on and their promises that they physically symbolized, there are things in our lives that we need to make sure that we are not just inwardly uh, you know, living for Jesus, but it does come out in our outward actions. Not that our outward actions are what replaces our faith. We've got to be careful about that. But there is an understanding that just as Israel showed their faith and their commitment in God, so we should also show our faith and commitment in Jesus as well. And the first thing we need to ask is how will we respond to the work of Christ? In fear or in faith? You see, the people of Canaan knew what God was doing. They knew that God was God and they knew that they were going to probably be destroyed. They knew all this was coming, and yet they chose to continue to live in fear but never have faith except for Rahab and her family, but the others didn't have any faith. But Israel, as they see what God is doing, they're not afraid of God, but they have faith in him. They trust him. So the question is today, how will you respond to the work of Christ? See, Jesus, as we've looked through the New Testament, we can look through that all day long, and we can see that Jesus comes in a world in which uh, the Jewish Religion had become all about what you do, all about circumcision and all about all the rites of passage. Jesus came and he says, no, none of that. You need to have faith in me. Faith in me is the savior. He comes and he teaches that the very God comes as a man, lives on the earth, a perfect life with no sin. He dies on the cross. He gives his life for you and for me so that he can shed his blood for our forgiveness and make a new covenant with us. And that's what Jesus does. He makes a new covenant, a new promise, a new hope. And that's what we can have in Jesus. And then he rose again to show that that promise and that new hope is rooted in someone who is alive. Not a dead person, but someone who is alive. The God who is still in heaven. The God who is interceding for us. And that is the truth of the gospel. That is the the promise we have if we come to him in faith. So you can live in fear. Fear of your life. Fear of Jesus. Fear of whoever or whatever. Or you can live a life of faith. And accept him through faith and ask him to be your savior, to give up on your old way of life and to live for him. Just as Israel did, you can do the same by committing your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, you need to do that today or find out more about how you can. The other things we need to ask ourselves are, are our priorities in line with Joshua's? If you look at Joshua, remember, his priority was to consecrate the people for God because God told him to and he followed God. He could have taken things into his own hands as a military leader and taken the land when he saw that there was no spirit within them. But Joshua's priorities were set. Israel's priorities were set. That God came first, remembering God's covenant, remembering him and looking to him is more important than any of our plans in this world any of our plans or any human looks that we think that this is the way we should go, we can't just follow our own thoughts. We need to follow God's thoughts. We need to prioritize our time with God, prioritize our commitment to Him above all else whatever that might be in your life that has come to the place where you feel like you've, you're given more of your life to that or that has become a priority that needs to be no longer. Our priority needs to be what Joshua shows our priority to be and that is to consecrate ourselves before God, to remember, to, to live out, to remember the covenant of God and to show that to the world around us. That is our ultimate goal. So what can you do to demonstrate your faith in Jesus? What can we do? Uh, Like I said, God has not prescribed us to be circumcised. What are some ways that we can demonstrate our faith in Jesus? Well, there's lots of opportunities. Uh, One way that we can do, and going back to the book of Colossians where it talks about baptism in Christ. uh, Baptism is very similar to circumcision. I'm not saying it's replaced circumcision, some would say that, and that's why many people will baptize babies, but the truth of the matter is, what baptism is, is exactly what circumcision was meant to be, and that was a symbol of what had already happened inside. The faith that you've already had in Jesus can be shown through the symbol of baptism. Baptism doesn't save you, being dipped in water doesn't save you, but it does symbolize the salvation that God has given in his new promise and his new covenant to you. So that is one basic way that you can show your faith. And if you haven't been baptized, it's very important to God that you are. It's very clear through the New Testament that if you're saved, you follow it with baptism. That faith, the inward faith, is shown through an outward act of baptism. And that is a godly thing to do. That is an act of obedience. And if you have not been baptized, uh, you need to be. And with that in mind, we're going to have a baptism class at the end of this month, the last two Sundays. And the very first Sunday of April, we're having a baptism service. So if you want to be baptized, talk to myself, talk to an elder, and we will definitely get you on that list so that you can be baptized and show your faith in Christ. Maybe you've already been baptized and you're thinking, how are other ways that I can show my faith? Just how you live your testimony in your everyday life is a way that you can show your faith. You can physically take steps to show your faith in Jesus to those around you. By sharing your testimony, by living a godly testimony and and pointing to him whenever you have a chance, that is a physical way to show the inward faith and the inward relationship that you have with Jesus. Maybe for some of you, and we're, going, we're having a membership class right now, what needs to happen is you need to physically show your commitment to Christ by showing your commitment to his body, his bride, and becoming a member and officially joining to the church and saying, I am with the church as we follow Christ together might be the way that you can show your love for Christ today. There's lots of other opportunities that we have each day that we can show our faith. But our faith should not just remain inside, sign, but we need to have symbols and remember because that is what God expects. And finally, do you make it a point to celebrate God's deliverance and blessing? Do you make it a point to celebrate God's deliverance and blessing? Israel did. Before they went into the land, before they started taking the land, they made sure that they remembered who it was that they were serving and who it was who was going to give everything to them. And they remembered through Passover, they remembered what God had done. And they celebrated it. They celebrated his deliverance. They celebrated his blessing. Do you do the same thing? Is church just a, uh, something you check off your list? A time to come to worship God? Is it just uh, boring songs and uh, listening to some guy drone on and on for too long? Um, that's not what this is about. This is about coming together to celebrate God's deliverance in your life and in my life. And we have an opportunity to do that. In much the same way they celebrated Passover, when we have opportunities, whether it's to be together, whether it's through communion, whether fellowship opportunities, or whatever it might be, are you getting involved in the body of Christ and celebrating God's deliverance and blessing? Are we just living our lives in which we forget all about what he's done and we rely on our own strength? Find ways to celebrate God's deliverance and blessing this morning. So we look at the people of uh, Israel We look at the symbol of their faith, we need to again be a people who show our faith, who put our priorities in the right direction, that we look to God first and everything else after. With all that, let's pray.